Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Welcome to the Pitchfork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the Editor-in-Chief of Pitchfork, and I'm here with Pitchfork staffer Kat Zhang. Hi, Kat. Hi, Pooja. Kat is our resident TikTok expert. By her choice or by my choice, it's hard to say, but here she is nonetheless. That's me. (laughs) Today we're talking about TikTok, the omnipresent 15-second video platform that has taken over social media. And we're going to talk about two really different sides of this surprisingly influential platform. TikTok has changed the music industry and churned out a bunch of Billboard hits. And now, following the killing of George Floyd, activists have also co-opted dance and music TikTok in the name of racial justice. So let's dive in. So I got a TikTok like a week after I graduated college when I went back home to Texas and was trying to figure out what I was going to do for a job. And when I first joined the app, I I was going to say I had an aneurysm, but that's too dramatic. It was just like an endless scroll of videos. Corn corn and these videos can include anything from comedy sketches How do you English you speak to dance videos. TikTok is a very soul-crushingly addictive time suck. I go on TikTok for like two hours every day and it's so embarrassing because I could do so much other things with that time, but I choose not to. It is an app that's primarily about like like frivolity, distraction, escapism. It definitely kind of reinforces that tendency. I think this is the fundamental interesting aspect of TikTok is that it's something that should be extremely easy and lighthearted, but is actually requires you to invest a lot of time into it. And lo and behold, I have a job now <laughs> and the job is to write about TikTok partially. Can you just explain TikTok and how it works? Well, I mean, it's it's a little bit similar to like Instagram stories almost where you like press the button and you record and you make like a video that's anywhere between 15 seconds to a minute. And there are all sorts of types of videos that are trending. So it's like everyone exhibiting like their their like greatest party trick or something like that. To some extent, it just feels like an America's Got Talent audition plus memes. And I think that's what partially makes it so entertaining. You don't have to slog through any of the boring stuff. Like the algorithm won't really put it on your feed. So it's just like the most maximally entertaining stuff possible. If you're creating a TikTok or if you're someone who is popular or active on TikTok, is the baseline assumption that you're trying to recreate something that already exists, like copycat off of a meme or a dance trend or like the thing of the moment? Is that the fundamental purpose? Yeah, I when I first started logging on to TikTok, that's exactly what I was thinking about, where it's like dance videos, 
the whip nene the like the millie rock like soldier boy and my feelings challenge and like those viral trends maybe you'd find out via YouTube or like in the case of In My Feelings, like some people would post it to Instagram. I support TikTok for a communal dance. Oh my God. I'm not that old. I <laughs> Let me be clear that I am not that old. <laughs> I am an avid TikTok viewer, but Kat's TikTok inspired me to try to learn the renegade dance, which I committed a full one and a half hours of my life to. And did you learn it? I... Got into it, and then when you had to speed it up and do it in time with the music, I could not do it and gave up and was just like, to hell with the kids. I'm done with this. But you know, you can like record it slowed down, and then you can just have the app speed it up so it looks like you're dancing to the music. Um, Did you do that? Did you fake it? I did not fake it. I 100% learned the Renegade Christmas Eve. It made Christmas at my home so peaceful because I wasn't arguing with my parents. Instead, I was just learning this dance with my sister. What was the first big song? Like, what was the song that made the dance trend on TikTok first a thing? I'm not sure if there's, like, one dance that, like, totally turned TikTok into a dancing platform, but rather a series of them that kind of built momentum. For my story on Doja Cat, I talked to Haley Sharp, who is a teenager in Alabama, and she created the viral dance to say so because it was so short and simple and easy to understand. Like it kind of catalyzed TikTok into a dance powerhouse because people who previously were not interested in dancing tried it out. Like the Say So Dance is the first dance that I, you know, like an aged 23-year-old, like did with my younger sister. When do you think that you started noticing that these songs that were being used as these like TikTok challenges or memes or dances simultaneously almost as a result of that, like becoming bigger in the mainstream culture and world of music. So I regularly check the Spotify, like US Viral 50 or the Global Viral 50. And it's like almost a perfect indicator of what's trending on TikTok. Like the one through 10 on the Viral 50 contains at least like three TikTok songs. At this point, TikTok is so good at putting things on the chart that to some extent, like, virality seems like nothing because it's so normal, you know? Like, I feel like every day in my inbox, I get an email from someone that's like, this song went viral on TikTok. Whoopee, whatever, <laughs> you know? Mm. I feel like that, like, the the type of music that is trending on TikTok has a sound to it that feels more intuitive to the challenge that could thrive there. So in November of 2019, I wrote this piece for Pitchfork called The Anatomy of a TikTok Hit, dissecting what goes into a popular TikTok song, which was basically just me spending so many waking hours listening to the most abhorrent music in the sacred office of Pitchfork.com, and then synthesizing this information and figuring out like what actually goes into a TikTok hit, like the really homespun quality and like the catchy beat. And then this like one concept anchoring it that was like super simple to digest and like a little bit provocative. And then <laughs> later I was minding my own business when I got a random DM on Twitter. Someone told me that they made this song 
called Dumb Bitch-itis that used some of the contextual guardrails, as they said. What are the guardrails? Um, just like very homespun, kind of like minimal sound with like a very hard-hitting beat. And so they made this song, which is all about being a young woman and knowing you're going to get played, texting someone anyway, and then still getting played. There is one particularly brutal line. I got dumb bitch-itis. I might even be a side chick. You take five hours, I reply quick. Ouch. (laughs) And you know what? I listened to it and I just thought, I was like, okay, this totally makes sense why it would pop off on TikTok. I mean, when I looked at it, it had like 7,000 videos made to it, which is like nowhere in the leagues of like any major TikTok hit, but it's pretty significant for a song that was just like made randomly by people and then uploaded on the platform. And I think the rapper that they, (laughs) uh, I think her name is Baby Frankie, just had like a nice voice that was like the perfect amount of like girlishness and annoyance. And then Young Serial, the producer, just had like this pretty minimal, but like kind of catchy beat. So they were trying to game the system. Yes, they were pretty successful, in part because it's just like such a relatable sentiment. And dumb bitch-itis is like such a perfect phrase to become a meme. (laughs) I think that's exactly what we're going to see, where it's like, okay, you have that like that phrase or that (laughs) slogan and you know it's going to pop off because it's so relatable and self-deprecating. I think songwriting is only going to trend towards that trend towards stupidity that's frustrating maybe a really charitable interpretation is like pop music will become more whimsical but i think a more justified cynical interpretation is yeah that people are just gonna like treat it like a conveyor belt and just like phone their song in I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. What's been happening on TikTok since the protests first began in late May? Um, I think the tenor and the content of TikTok has totally changed. <laughs> The TikToks that I were seeing kind of mirrored that fear, talking about potential use of military force. They're about to throw tear gas. How to address pepper spraying. When the protests started, I know a lot of people were really prepared for the worst and prepared for brute force from the police. I mean, some of the imagery was kind of 
traumatizing, actually showing you footage that may be like police, like beating protesters or shoving their cars in. But the jarring thing is that a lot of this information isn't being shared directly. Black creators have said that they've been getting censored on TikTok since pretty much the beginning. What do you mean by that? It's kind of hard to prove definitively, but there definitely been a lot of Black creators, LGBTQ creators who have talked about their posts getting taken down or censored or something to that effect. And they feel like it's been ongoing to the point where they it's not just arbitrary, like they actually feel like they're being targeted. I interviewed Iman. Um, she's like a, a big activist who's been disseminating a lot of protest info. She says that basically every Black creator she knows has another TikTok account just in case their primary one gets banned or deactivated. And so Black creators have long suspected that they have been primarily targeted for shadow banning, especially for posting about activist-related causes. Yeah, can you explain what shadow banning means? So shadow banning is a very sneaky tactic. Let's say you're a creator and normally your videos get, you know, 3,000 views or so. And then you go on and you post a protest video about Black Lives Matter and you notice that the video only has like 15 views. This might be an indication that you've gotten shadow banned. So basically, TikTok doesn't really tell you that anything is happening, but they just don't promote your video or maybe your followers don't see it. So the view count is really low and it's almost like the content really didn't exist in the first place. Like you're just kind of being siloed into your own world. So it feels like there's been this mounting tension amongst Black TikTokers and creators I, I remember on May 19th, which was about a week before George Floyd was killed, Black creators had staged this TikTok blackout in a way to amplify their voices. Can you explain what happened there or what, what was going on then? Yeah, so May 19th is Malcolm X's birthday. And on that day, they staged a blackout. Um, and basically the terms of the blackout were you change your icon to the Black Power Fist, you follow one Black creator, and you exclusively engage with content from Black creators. And then people who are non-Black are encouraged to just like not post that day, just kind of amplify the voices of Black creators. When I open my like feed, like I had never seen that many Black people on my feed like ever. I feel like it was more in a day than like probably two months of my TikTok scrolling experience. So I found out about a lot of Black creators through the blackout. So I baked all my cake layers as usual. Like a chocolatier. Trimmed them with my cake just, Like his videos are just like him making um, gourmet chocolate bars, which is so overnight. amazing. Then I made my buttercream icing. And stacked and filled. I follow a black forager. I'm gonna saute some of these. Who like finds bags. weeds and like makes like teas and desserts. I collected in the forest this weekend. Just like a whole variety of content. And then also a lot of, of black creators saying, like, I've never gotten this much attention in my life on TikTok. I feel really overwhelmed and kind of supported right now. Like, thank you. And because of that, when the Black Lives Matter protests happen a week or so later, my feed was like more primed to give me information about that because I was following more Black creators. 
So since the George Floyd protests, TikTok has responded to the outcry, but they did so in a really kind of boilerplate, unsatisfying way. As far as we know, not much has changed. So as Black creators are still trying to spread information about protests and get more education out via the platform, how are they doing that without being shadow banned or without having their content removed? It's actually pretty clever. One of the things that they're doing is taking advantage of the same type of dance videos that get a lot of little known artists on the billboard charts. So the big song that went viral, there's no title for it, but was created by the TikTok user Rinstar, who is a music teacher in North Carolina and like a classically trained vocalist. And she had watched this video by the math-loving drag queen Online Kine, kind of like talking about the way that people misrepresent statistics. And then she walked out onto her porch and she was she just like made up the song and maybe like use all of those years of training and just like channeled it into this one little ditty, which is great. I will sing it to you. It goes like this. Black neighborhoods are overpoliced, so of course they have higher rates of crime. And white perpetrators are undercharged, so of course they have higher rates of crime. And then she goes into like how the stats that people are using, how small sample sizes, and then it culminates in like a... Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And so then people started riffing on it, like someone turned it into like a barbershop quartet. So of course they have higher rates of crime. There was like a harpist who did like a harp rendition of it. And there was like a remixer who added beats to it. Like, it was very crazy and like a, a, a fun time. And I think uh, a pretty informational song. I've also been seeing educational TikToks of people explaining how systemic racism works or in spreading information about Black history. What about those? Yeah, so there have been a variety of educational videos I've seen. The Black Panther Party was founded in 1966 in Oakland, California. And consists- a lot of histories of the Black Panther Party and facts you may not know about their involvement in a free breakfast program. When the Black Panther Party learned that kids do better in school when they have a good breakfast, they fed 20,000 children in their community weekly. There's also been quite a few doctors talking about histories of medical racism and Black women being used in studies. Black people used to be operated on without anesthesia and were used in studies without their consent. So this was a convenient lie. To this day, Black people... Because people didn't believe that they could feel pain. Recently, I saw something about the Scottsboro boys who were nine Black teenagers who were falsely accused of raping two white women in Scottsboro, Alabama in the 1930s. Also, the right for Black people to serve on juries was established by this case. And... A day in the life without Black invention. There have been really entertaining videos mimicking what a day in your life would be without Black inventions. But then I remember that I could not use a thermostat. So So people kind of fumbling through their daily routine, but figuring out like, hey, the filament in this light bulb was actually invented by a Black creator. Like, so without their contributions, like, I could not go about my daily tasks. So that's all been incredibly enlightening and I really appreciate like the creativity of the formats people are using too. I always worry about performative action and I worry about the signal that this is an appropriate way of participating and it's all you need to do. Yeah, so there have been a couple of TikToks that I've seen trying to bring awareness to Brianna Taylor's death. One kind is like women will like be 
dressed in yoga clothing or, you know, something a little tight, they will kind of lean over and you think that they're going to shake their butt. And then once they've, they've gotten you and they know that you're watching, they're like, Now that you're here, watch till the end or you're racist. Black lives Actually, now that I have your attention, like Breonna Taylor still hasn't gotten justice. Like people haven't arrested the cops who killed her. I find the memification of the Breonna Taylor discourse extremely frustrating because I feel like adding levity to it undercuts the seriousness and the actual repercussions of what happens to Black people. Everything that we're doing right now is good for awareness. It's good for strengthening the voices and the messages of others. That said, it is ephemeral. Like, the internet is transient, and then we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with the fact that what happens on TikTok this week will be nearly forgotten two weeks from now because another thing will have happened online. So Kat, what is the final word on TikTok? Is this thing going to sustain? Are we going to care about it, you know, a year from now? I have no idea. I think we're at least going (laughs) to care about it for a variety of months. Um... (laughs) As for whether I'm still going to use it, well, writing about it is part of my job, so I guess I have to, but even if it wasn't part of my job, I would still probably use it because I have no shame. (laughs) Cool. I mostly learn from reading books and other things on the internet. So I can't say that I'm turning to TikTok as a prime educational resource, and that is no shade to TikTok. I would like to go on record and say (laughs) that I also read books. I just finished like a 500-page history of the Black Panther Party, so I'm, I'm not just wasting away my days on this app. Get your girl who can do both. And we have... Well, that's it for the Pitchfork Review. Thank you so much, Kat. Thanks for having me. The Pitchfork Review is hosted by me, Pooja Patel. Thanks to Kat Zhang for coming on this episode. You can follow her on Twitter, at KatZhang1. And you can follow Pitchfork on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Pitchfork. This episode was produced by our producer, Sharina Ong, Jasmine Aguilera, and our executive producer, Alex Kappelman with help from our assistant producer, Alex Jerome. Special thanks to Amy Phillips and Julie Shen. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through of Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through of Vogue wherever you get your podcasts.